a it's a hearty loaf. I don't know what it is. I, it, to me, it's unnatural. I yeah. just say it. It's it's like graham crackers with dried fruit put in it. Maybe it's is it reminiscent of a different time? I I think it is. And have you ever heard? I can't I can't remember the guy's name at the moment. Uh, the guy from B fifty twos, the one whose voice you would recognize in a crowd. Uh, he did a song after he left the B fifty twos called Fruitcake, and it's it's a holiday favorite of mine. It's utterly ridiculous. And it's just, he's going through basically the ingredients in fruitcake. It's hysterical. Well, aren't the ingredients in fruitcake anything except for fruit or cake? Cherries and and uh, mace and... It, yeah, anything that's not fruit or cake goes in fruitcake. Yeah, basically. All right, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> I, he's, right before the podcast goes on, Trey mentions fruitcake and... Says he figured I didn't like it, and then just goes on as if he liked fruitcake. So I had to find out to get get out of the gate. This was yet once again a, a spinoff from from our Buffett intro that happens just before we hit record. Absolutely, we're on a roll. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to smoke the LFD Airbender. That's hysterical. Go ahead. Surely you didn't pick the same cigar. I didn't, but I okay. also. When was the last time you saw me smoking LFD? Been a while. I picked one up. And I'll explain why after you finish introducing your cigar. Well, I like the LFD Airbender in the chisel shape because it's the only thing that's in the chisel shape that's not the Chapter 1 or Chapter 2. Yeah. So it's the cost-effective chisel-sized cigar. And, of course, you hit it with the platypus. Mm-hmm. And I'll thank you for teaching me the platypus. All credit for platypus for, remains in Trey's hands. But um, just enjoy this cigar. It's a Dominican binder and filler and a wrapper is an Ecuadorian Habano, and it's just a great stick. Just I, really, I find it one of the lighter of their range. It's on the line. So it, if memory serves me. As a rule, I'm not a fan of LFD's light cigars. Right. You know, the Lenox and even the Bull to a certain degree, and their lighter stuff is usually not what they do best. Right. But this is right on the line. I think this is the Airbender line. Anything below okay. this... I don't like anything above this. It's probably okay. Okay. What you pick? So I got the cabinet number five, Maduro. And so I mentioned it's a, it's a six and a quarter by 52. I, I mentioned on the show last week talking about my travels into, uh, into Puerto Rico and how I shared a cigar with my brother-in-law with no band, no identification, I, no idea what it was other than the fact that as soon as I lit it up, I knew for a fact it was Dominican tobacco. And when I tell you I've been chasing that high ever since, you know, here it is Monday. It's been exactly a week since I smoked that cigar. And in this humidor, in the humidor I normally smoke out of, I haven't been able to come close. I've been looking for a cigar that'll do that for me again. And I was like, well, maybe it's LFD. Not that that cigar that I smoked on the beach was an LFD, but maybe that's where I need to go to try and reclaim that kind of my, maybe my palate has come back to that so yeah I it, really my selection tonight was based off my memory that the airbender was a little lighter than what I was trying to hit and everything else you guys have in the double hero line in there is the it's not a size I want to smoke right so I, I came across this, and we'll, we'll see what it does. I'm, I'm excited. I hope that this is everything I want it to be. Well, it's been interesting in the humidor because the LFD guys don't want 
nothing but a big, dark cigar. They're not fans of, oh, yeah, we might sell that in a Lancero. We might sell that in a Corona, a Robusto. No. If it's LFD, they want it to be a big, dark cigar. It's tough to actually sell Toros. And uh, I think it's just the the LFD guys are that kind of guy. No, I can see that. And really, LFD doesn't do a whole lot in the smaller. I mean, pretty much Toro is about the smallest you're ever going to see in a humidor. Maybe that's just the demographics being far-reaching that it's that's always going to be the case. I don't know. but Well, also, I will say the new LFD Solaris, when it comes out, I smoked one. I got one at the show, and I smoked one. Best LFD I've ever smoked in my life. All right. And it was actually a lighter... Um, Lighter selection. It was actually more medium than full cigar. Okay, interesting. But absolutely the best LFD cigar I've ever smoked. It was pretty amazing. So, moving into cigars, being as we're talking about them. Last week we got busy arguing about electric vehicles and didn't actually get to the reason that that article come up. Wyoming Senate passes cigar tax cap bill. Now heads to the House. So, basically what they're saying is, hey... All premium cigars, 30 cent tax maximum. You know, obviously it's self-serving that you and I both like this. I mean, granted, we don't live in Wyoming, but the idea of capping the tax on a cigar sounds great. But also, we we got to talking about it, and I was thinking, you know, there's, there's very little out there that is so wide and varied as the tobacco tax. And I really like the idea that just because just because it costs more, just because it it's still a cigar. It's a unit. And I like the idea that the tax is is not dependent on the price of the cigar, but more about the cigar. Just one cigar is taxed at this rate. Well, you know, they're talking about the current tax of 20%. That's ridiculous. That's about what it is here, isn't it? 6%. It's 6%. Tennessee is 6%. Oh, no, I'm, I'm thinking of Georgia where it's 26%. Yeah, that's ridiculous, too. That's all criminal. So anything that limits that, because there shouldn't be that much variance between the tax rate of cigars from state to state, of tobacco from state to state. That's insane. No. Everybody's facing the same. The other thing I really like about this is that the tax cap only applies to premium cigars, which are defined as cigars that have a whole leaf wrapper or rolled by hand and don't have a filter or non-tobacco tip. That's the closest to a legislative definition of a premium cigar that I've seen that I've actually agreed with. The whole rolled by hand thing, I think, could go one way or another, thinking about Toscano at that or, or Villager at that point, but... By and large, holy frapper roll by hand. Yeah, that that's a premium cigar. Yeah, you know, the only other factor that's missing in that that was from the um, actual definition was weighs so much per thousand, and they kind of took that out. So I'm okay with that. Now, here's the question. A maximum of 30 cents a cigar. Do you think there will be any cigars with less than a 30-cent tax on them in Wyoming? Well, so you said it's 20% now. So what would a... What would a cigar have to cost for that 20% to equal more than 30, or less than 30 cents, really? Well, 20 cents on the dollar. So, $2? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, uh, which, right now, it said a cigar of an MSRP of 950 would go from costing 1140 
down to costing $10.10. But I said it again. I'll say it. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Wyoming's got their act together. Yeah. It they makes s- me wonder, although, actually, that doesn't make sense. It goes from nine fifty to ten ten. That's 60 cents. Unless they're doing this on a clock. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, you think it would just be 30 cents above MSRP. Yeah, I would think. That would make sense. I don't know. I don't know how that... That, that is funny. That is a little <laughs> loop in their math there that they seem to have dropped the ball. Because a cigar of an MSRP at 950 with a cap of 30 cents per cigar, then should go to $9.80. It should. Not to eleven dollars and forty cents. Well, no, eleven forty is under the current plan, or it, even ten ten. Yeah, ten ten is they're so counting that's it twice. Double. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so who who wrote this article? Let's see here. Patrick Lagreed. Hey, Lagreed, get your math. <laughs> Check out your calculator. Or explain. Show your work. Right. <laughs> Although <laughs> I've, I've got to say, uh, you know, for for a blog writer, he really has nailed the brevity thing. It's six paragraphs is all this gets. Well, maybe he should have spent a little more time proofreading his math. Yeah, maybe so. But I've read this article three or four times a day, and that's the first time. I've, I never did the math, so maybe he thought, hey, nobody's going to do the math yeah, on perhaps. this. Yeah, perhaps. Viaje releasing new batch of shotgun shells, super shot, and buckshot. So this the only reason I bring this up, I don't like Viaje cigars. I've never found a Viaje I really enjoyed. I haven't either. I do like their packaging on this, though. It looks like a box of shotgun shells. Well, it's kind of a, a Viaje thing. Is that they're going to market it? It's going. It's gimmick based rather than quality. I, I do like that they do that. I have to admit. So the shotgun shells, they're going to be a Nicaraguan Criollo wrapper, and the buckshot's going to use a San Andreas Maduro with Nicaraguan binder and filler underneath both. Uh, two Vitolas, ten gauge and twelve gauge, uh, three and a half by fifty four and three and a quarter by fifty two. But the bigger point is... Can, can I at least appreciate that they got that right? That the 10-gauge is a bigger ring gauge than the 12-gauge? Yes. I, I would have expected them to get that backwards. To, yeah, and most people will. Most people, if you say, what's a bigger shotgun, a 20-gauge or a 12-gauge? I'll say, oh, 20-gauge, obviously. Yeah. But no. So, yeah, I can, I'm, I'm glad they at least fact-checked themselves on that far. And uh, what was the old story I read today that um, when Wendy's released the third pounder to compete oh, oh, I, with I, the McDonald's quarter pounder? I love this story. Be- oh, no, you're thinking of a- the reason oh, A&W, A&W. Yeah. A&W was, was largely unsuccessful, and it, they, you still see them every once in a while, but it was because they came up with the third pound burger to, co- to uh, compete with the quarter pounder from McDonald's. But Americans thought that that was smaller. <laughs> yeah. It's always, you know, okay. people ask all the time, which is bigger, two-thirds or three-quarter? Mm-hmm. Well, two-thirds is bigger than three-quarter. But it seems like it should be the other way around. But anyway, um, this is the second shotgun shell cigar I ran across this week. There is another company that makes one called the 12-gauge that is, I got one in my thing right now to smoke, that is just a little size of a 12-gauge shotgun shell. That's not a great size for a cigar. No, but, you know, the nub has stuck around. I remember when they first released the nubs and thinking, who wants this? You know, I just, I didn't get it, but they have somehow stuck around. I think they've stuck around as a function of price. 
You think so? Because they weren't yeah. cheap when they first came out. No, but I think that the market has moved and they've kind of stayed at the same price. They kind of know this is the maximum amount we're going to get for a nub. Yeah, perhaps. But um, well, was thinking about it. What other shapes would you would you make cigars? You know, we talked about this last week with the um, Chinese zodiac being an easy gimmick. Yeah. If you were gimmicking cigar shapes, what other shape would be a good cigar shape? Well, you know, I think about this because Drew Estate. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have the special edition egg. That that they would sell as, as like an event only thing. Do they still do that? Does that? Do you still I've, see those? I've floating got around? one, but I hadn't seen one in years. Yeah, I. You know, anything somewhat phallic shaped tends tends to work. <laughs> anything longer than it is wide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all you know, I was thinking, you know, um, the socket set. If you had like a socket set, maybe maybe make it a six inch deep socket set, so you're cheating a little. But build it in that socket set style where you could pull out one that's three eighths or four, you know. So you're, th- you're thinking more like a almost like a gimmick package, like a special yeah. edition box. Hey, Dad, well, happy Father's <laughs> Happy Father's Day! I bought you a socket set. Oh wait, you can smoke them all. Yeah, you open it up, and I think that'd be a cool gimmick. Somebody's think, gonna do that. Yeah, I'm surprised they haven't already. Quite honestly. Yeah, and I'll telescope. And I wish a cigar was six inches or two inches longer. You just stretch it out. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see the physics behind how you make that work. You know, someone made a baseball bat at one point. Well, I've had some gimmicky baseball bat ones. I've got a baseball bat at home now, but it was just a one-off that Pedro made for me. Yeah. And all. But did somebody actually produce a baseball bat cigar? Some. Uh, it, it was kind of like the egg. It was just one that you could get. As a special promotion, if you want a raffle kind of thing, it, it never went full into promotion. I think that's the trick, right? You have to find a shape that's unique enough but repeatable enough that you could actually put it into production. Yeah, it's kind of like the football, the LFD football cigar. You can yeah. kind of do the laces and all that with the different wrappers, and that makes sense. Kind of works out. I want to see a pool cue. How about that? Oh, that wouldn't be bad. You'd have to get a tripod to put the end of it on. <laughs> well, no, you wouldn't use a tripod. You'd use one of the little the bridge. bridge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. From the art of manliness. Nine ways to become more courageous. I really like this article. I was I was looking through things today, looking for stuff to talk about, and this came up. So, what is courage? What is your definition of courage? Do you think before we get onto that? Do you think there is a, a lack of courage in the world? Do you think this is a, an epidemic? I think a lot of people thinks, call things courage that aren't. Okay. I think a lot of people think that grumbling at their neighbor because they don't like the political sign in their yard takes courage. Well, I, I think that there's a lot of people that, I rescued this dog. Did you fight a dragon? Did you at least fight a bull for it? No, you went and adopted a dog. Yeah. I think that courage has been diluted by the number of people that have branded themselves on it. I don't think anybody thinks rescuing a dog takes, or adopting a dog from a rescue takes courage, though. Well, why do they call it rescuing the dog? And, I, uh, and, and, and hey, if you So they want- can charge you $400 adoption fee and act like that's just to cover expenses? Hey, if you have you seen? So we're in the market for a dog again. We're finally ready to get back on the wagon, and, and enough time has passed. 
these these rescues. And I'm not talking about the county animal control, whatever. Even those have gotten ridiculous. The one in Dixon County wants $150. You what? Oscar was $25 and the best dog a man could have ever asked for. But anyway, but they they do they charge they charge three to five hundred dollars for a dog you don't know the history of, and then they make you pass an entrance exam that makes it look like getting into the Navy SEALs would be doable on a weekend. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. Oh, we're gonna have to do a site visit, and we're gonna have to see if your home is dog friendly, and it's it's just a waste of yeah. It's and why if, they have to charge so much because they're paying somebody to come to your house. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. This you'd rather that dog just sit in your shelter for another six months or two years when there's plenty of people that would like to dog, but oh, we you've never owned a dog before, so you don't have a vet that can give you a reference. I like that phrase that you used accidentally. These people would like to dog, but they're not being allowed to dog <laughs> because of these rescues. Yeah. yeah, I like to dog I would myself. like to dog. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm a dog. I like dogging. <laughs> no. So, are you... We're going to go off the rails here. Do you know that's an expression? There's what? a ter- that That's a term that means something? I have no idea. In the UK, dogging is... Close. Okay. It's sorry, used, y'all. I was making a hand gesture. It's used to. That was a full body gesture. It's used to reference people who enjoy going to parks or other semi-public places and engaging in relations, or the people that like to go watch. It's used to be to mean both. So a dog park in the UK is means something, something is very different. way different. <laughs> Thank you, because that could have been very embarrassing for me and Ace on our travels. <laughs> it could have been a little awkward. And I'll, oh, can I pet your dog? That's a different. <laughs> yeah. Get away from me, you pervert. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Back so, to courage. Back to courage. Yeah, what, how long have we got? Before I get into courage, I don't want to. But. Okay, how to become more courageous. So, I do think courage to me is doing something that you're afraid of. Yeah. and But also doing something a reasonable human being would be afraid of. If, you think, if you're scared of spiders for some obscene reason and you squash one with a mallet, that's not necessarily courage. It needs to be something that, you know... Something of note. I mean, I, I think there are levels, though, right? Like, there are oftentimes fears that people have that you and I don't have that are based in a, in a logical foundation that we may see as being... So. Now, the, the spider thing being whatever it is, I, I don't know that I would go so far as to say that I'm afraid of snakes, but I certainly do not like being around them. And there was a situation at my last job where I ended up having to wrangle a snake out of the office. I do feel like that took a little bit of courage. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if, you know, facing your fears, but I don't, if you ask me right now to identify, Shane, what's one of your fears? I don't think I could identify it. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying I'm... Outside of the existential of dying alone and... No, I, I know that's me. not one of yours. I, you're, you're a Labrador. You're not going to ever be alone, but... Well, public speaking doesn't bother me. You know, what's the, what, are, what are the biggies? There's public speaking. That don't bother me. Death. Death, not a big deal. Heights. Not a big deal. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I have. I now I'm like you with snakes. I don't like heights, but if I had to, you know, climb a tree, climb a tree to get away from a bear, I'd probably be okay. You'd need to change a pair of pants before you got down. But oh, it, he wouldn't be able to follow me up. That black trunk would be <laughs> slicker enough. <laughs> but but anyway, so when you start talking, it's it's, it's kind of interesting because that's one of the things that this article stirred in me was trying to think about, well, what do I fear enough that I need to be courageous to overcome it? And all the public speaking thing, I've never had that. Yeah, I haven't either. But interestingly, I think, you know, I do have, a, I will say, I have a fear of the unknown. I don't know if I go so far as to call it a fear, but I have anxiety around being in first-time situations. I, I don't like going into something especially if there are expectations on me and I don't know what to expect. For I've loved the stars too fondly to ever fear the night is kind of how I live. I really don't worry about the unknown because there's always something inside there. There's always something out there. There's always something pretty out there. There's always something, you know. No, that just it's just it's one of those things that if you focus on the stars then it's not so dark at night. I no, I understand the principle, but I also know that there's there's a lot that go into social fears. You know, the fear of speaking is not really a fear of public speaking. It's a fear of looking like an idiot. And I think a lot of people can uh, resonate with that. I do think that that's that's something that kind of people get onto. But let's assume that you do have fears and you've jotted a few down while we're talking about it. Let's talk about how to be courageous in the face of those fears. Number one, do reconnaissance to remove aspects of the unknown. So educate yourself. Yeah. Is you're afraid of needles, but you really want a tattoo to honor your dead relative. Do you, you know, research, make sure the person is accredited, licensed in your state to perform the, you know, to, to do tattoos. They use clean needles, you know, all of those, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, snakes. Okay, learn what kind of snakes are poisonous, what kind of snakes aren't. Venomous. Learn, learn snakes. Um, venomous. Yeah. Learn snakes, ways, what they're good for in this world. Learn how to is. pick them up. Learn, sure. Yeah. Yeah, get get beyond just avoid the sharp. End. It's why I really missed those survival guide books. Do you remember though the ultimate survival guide little oh, yeah. uh, little handbooks? And it was all about how to survive in situations that you will never find yourself in. But how nice would it be that over the course of five years, every time you sat on the toilet, you read a little bit out of that book, and then you know you crash in the Andes with your soccer team, and while everybody else is fighting over the goalie's leg, you can actually build a fire. Right. You and can build a fire to cook it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe catch a hair. Um, use relaxation techniques number two. <laughs> okay. In the moments that I have the calls for courage, I don't generally have time to sit down, take a few deep breaths, rub one out. I don't generally have time <laughs> to utilize relaxation techniques. I meant rub the shoulders, yeah, obviously. Yeah, 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 of course. No, but I, I will... I think this is a good point uh, for me to, to, to offer a little bit of advice or something that, that will be useful, whether it's for you or, or someone else. Do yourself a favor and look up grounding techniques for people having panic attacks. It will 
you'll you never know when you're going to be the first at a scene of an accident because it happens right in front of you and someone's having a legitimate panic attack and there it's it's a really short thing to learn but it's about how to kind of keep someone from getting so involved in their anxiety and their panic it's no it's it's basically you, you pick something that's in the physical space with you and you describe it and then you have them do the same thing. And after about three minutes, you can get somebody down from a panic attack. Right, it's a what very, that is, very is a severed head, honey. <laughs> it's a very useful technique, especially in scenarios where time is of the essence and you need this person to calm down so that you can get them out of their burning car, for example. Um, so that's everyone's homework this week is look that have that in your tool belt. I've always thought about using the airplane philosophy, <laughs> you know, where they just smack the woman repeatedly. Yeah. To, there's like a line of people going down the aisle waiting the to smack her. The nun with the, with the, uh, the brass knuckles. <laughs> yeah. Get skilled. Okay, I can get behind this one. Um, a certain amount of... A certain amount of my lack of fear has to do with the fact that, you know, I, I did teach martial arts. I know martial arts. I always have a blade on me. I'm not usually very far from a gun. Um, if I was lost in the woods, I could get food. I, yeah. I, and, my, and now I may vastly overestimate my amount of skills that I have, but well, by the time about, I find out, It was cares? about two years ago on this show that we talked about things you could do in a pinch. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really anything on your list that you didn't think you could do in a pinch. Yeah, you know, it, it, again, it's we were talking about the bear and the lion, and I said, well, I assume I'm going to win either way. Mm-hmm. And that's just where I come from, from a philosophical state. But I also understand the get skilled part about it. Get, You know, everybody should have some basic skills. Well, and getting trained in CPR is a great skill that everybody should have, can have the, you know, CPR and the Heimlich maneuver are two things that you skills that you can develop that will come into play in a crisis. Now, again, that's a kind of skill that you do to support others in their time of fear more so than your own. But this article talks about the bystander effect, and oftentimes, what happens is you assume that somebody else in the room is more skilled to handle whatever is going on than you are. And if you have a couple of things in your back pocket, you go, no, I know I'm the man for this job. That, you know, that goes a long way. Yeah, I think that, okay, Buddy Up um, talks about being in a group or having, I understand having a support structure. Yeah. You know, if, hey, I'm about to go, you know, speak at this luncheon. And I always try to encourage people. You know, a young man came in here last night that, um, or, yeah, it was last night. No, Saturday night. Anyway. Irrelevant. Yeah. Irrelevant. Just chasing a rabbit. Sorry. Came in here that played poker with us for a while. And when I met him, he had kind of been wandering around. And he came in and he said, hey, I started school. I'm in a criminal justice program. I'm in segment two. And I made it a point to go over there and just, you know, kind of kind of lift him up. Say, hey, I'm really proud for you. That's a mm-hmm. great thing you're doing. It's something you're interested in life. I'm really glad that you decided to step up and do that. And also, I I guess the buddy up, for me, it's more about being a buddy than to actual... Well, but this also plays into 12-step programs and why they are so successful. Because especially, let's say you decide to give up drugs or alcohol or something else, and 
one of the, there are there are two things that happen. Number one, you start thinking about forever, which is why their whole mantra is one day at a time. But the other thing is you get in a room with other people who are walking the same path you are to, for accountability and for support. And so whatever the fear happens to be now, if you and I are both in the woods and we see a bear, I'm feeling pretty good about my buddy choices because I can r- outrun it or I can outrun you even if I can't outrun it. <laughs> Which leads us to our next one, carry a talisman in case you have to need to stab your buddy in the leg with it so you can get away from the bear instead of him. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, <laughs> I couldn't imagine just like reaching into my pocket and just like thumbing that rabbit's foot, hoping the moose goes the other way. <laughs> so number five is carry a talisman. And, uh, now this is, the, this is where they're kind of getting out there. I really like it. Um, and I see the value of it. I mean, you know, in a manner of speaking, my pocket knife is a talisman. Yeah. It's a comfort item of well, sorts. It's reminiscent of my grandfather always carried a pocket knife. I always carry a pocket knife. My father always carried a pocket knife. And it's kind of reminiscent of, okay, this is something that men do. If you've got a pocket knife, you know, oh, am I, am I man enough to attack this bear? Well, I've got a knife. So, you know, there's a, there's a certain amount of um, to that even above the practical. Yeah, but the talisman doesn't necessarily have to be something that can be converted to weaponry to be effective. You know, taking a little bit of a different approach, I took, a, I took an interesting route through my collegiate career, <laughs> to, 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 to put it a certain way. And so I, I had a lot of self-doubt when I got into the workforce. And if you've ever been around anybody in the armed services, you're familiar with the concept of a challenge coin. And typically it's, a, it's a, a, an emblem either based on their... Uh, you know their squadron or their team or or, or some something meaning some in group that is meaningful and it's a high degree of honor for someone to give you a challenge coin like that means a lot and I was working at my first job out of college and I had worked with the Air National Guard and done some done some work with them over the course of about a week at, at the hotel where they were having a big uh, conference of sorts. And at the end of that, one of the people who I worked with the most came up and gave me her challenge coin. And I carried that around in my pocket for years. Anytime there was just a moment of self-doubt, it was nice to know that, no, someone has recognized me for the, for the talents, skills, and... and um, whatever else that I bring to the table that, no, like... You know, that'd be a pretty cool thing to kind of adopt in your cigar life as you encounter people to have, like, a coin in your pocket that just says, you know, hey, shame believes in you. Right. <laughs> My, mine would have a bear on one side, a lion on the other. Not a venomous duck? Not a venomous duck. No, bear on one side, lion on the other. Shame believes in you. Maybe my phone number on the back side. Right. If lost, please call. <laughs> No, that would, be, that would kind of be a cool thing, because then when you have somebody like the young man that I talked to the other night, I could have reached in my pocket and give him a physical representation of how, of, of my Of admiration. your support. I'm going to look into that. That's a great freaking ideal. Yeah. And the I'll, Shane Reeves challenge coin. The, the, the Shane Reeves you can do it challenge coin. Okay, well, I like that. I'm going to flesh that ideal out a little bit. Look for it on sale on the CigarCast website soon. <laughs> Think of yourself less. The more you think about yourself, the more scared you get about acting. See, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with this one. 
but well, I'm a narcissist, so. Yeah, I don't think you have the same self-doubts uh, that most people have. It's certainly not people that, that deal with courage issues. But no, I think oftentimes when we get into an opportunity to display courage, the first thing that, that settles in are those intrusive thoughts that tell us all the reasons why we should be afraid. We try to justify our fear to ourselves. And that creates kind of a, an endless loop of self-fixation. And so finding an opportunity to, to get to stop that loop is going to allow you to act. Well, and I can see that. You know, I've been in situations, my wife has far more anxiety than I do. I cause more, far more anxiety to my wife than I have, but um, she has more anxiety than I do. And there's situations sometimes where we've been in somewhere a little dicey and I've kind of just acted like it was no big deal just because I didn't want to, I didn't want to get her anxious. Yeah. So, okay. I, I can get behind that. Lean into your role. Um, I'm not sure about this one. I read it and I didn't really understand it. What do you get out of lean into your role? I think it's so look, going back to the whole bystander effect, right? Once somebody steps in or whether or you step in, all of a sudden you've been assigned a role. It, it's the same re- in CPR class. They'll tell you that they teach you there are a couple of things that have to happen and you can't do all of them. Obviously the chest compressions and the breaths, although they've taken the breaths out of it, but, um, but you also need someone to find a defibrillator if there's one on the property and you need someone to call 911. And I would say you probably, if there's no one there with the person, you need to find their cell phone and find a next of kin or somebody to contact. Well, you can't do all that. So they tell you when you're trying to get somebody to do those things, you make eye contact, you point at them and say, you call 911, you go find the defibrillator. Like, and you, and as soon as you give that person a specific role to accomplish, they will spring into action. And so it's kind of this, like, as soon as, and maybe the first part of this is you need to carve out that role for yourself. If someone's choking, I know the Heimlich maneuver, I have to step up. Well, and I can also understand it from the standpoint of um, when the fireman shows up, don't say, hey, I got this, and keep punching the dude's chest. Exactly. Okay. Exercise 20 seconds of insane courage. Okay, I didn't understand this on the get-go, but I understood it once I read their example. They did an excellent job illustrating that. Um, You know, if you're scared to ask someone out, it only takes 20 seconds to ask them out. So if you say, okay, I'm going to take 20 seconds and ask this person out, and that's going to be my 20 seconds of insane courage a day, okay, I can get behind it. Now, their example kind of brought this to light because I was like, okay, what can you do courageous in 20 seconds? But I kind of, now that I've read their example and kind of took that in, I can, I can understand that. I can get behind 20 seconds. And, and it's amazing how often just, ha- just saying, hey, okay, for the next 20 seconds, I'm going to be brave. Yeah. And at the end of the 20 seconds, I can run screaming into the night. But for the next 20 seconds, I'm going to be brave about this. It's amazing. That's a, that's a great piece of advice. Yeah, I think so too. And do something scary once a week. Okay, but, you know, what's scary? Yeah. 
you know, what it, what is scary? I guess you got to determine what scares you and decide you're going to do that once a if week. If you're afraid of public speaking or groups of people you don't know, socializing network, sign up for networking events. They are all over whatever city you're in. You know, go go stand in front of people and and introduce yourself and and try to try to keep a conversation alive. Um I, th- I think that's something that you could do. It, it's all going to be very fear-specific. I guess so, and I guess that's what this whole article kind of comes down to is techniques for once you've identified, okay, I have this fear that I don't want to persist in my life. You know, okay, if you've got a fear of sharks, all you got to do is stay out of the ocean. Right. You've got to think more day-to-day fears. What are you, you know, are you afraid of the of death? Are you afraid of dying? Yeah. Do you need to once you know once a week go have bungee a little... jumping, skydiving? Yeah. Learn to be a pilot. Yeah. Do you you know some something along those lines? So, I think the the article very well done article on art of manliness. We hadn't covered one of their articles in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it has been a while. And it's nine ways to become more courageous. I think it's a great article. I really enjoyed reading it and I think they had some great and now that we've broke it down I think I understand it even better yeah I don't think I did it first but I, I definitely got it now alright so let's step away for a break we'll be back shortly Back of the cigar cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from the man that broke my heart today. How did I do that? You said you didn't want to talk about Bigfoot. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to bring enough to the topic. Well, it's it's one of those funny things. I always tell people there's four topics in my life which I consider myself. Um, not an expert, but a far above casual knowledge of. Right. If somebody comes in here and they want to talk about building a house, they want to talk about cigars, they want to talk about professional wrestling, or they want to talk about Bigfoot. Um, you're, you're their go-to. I'm, I'm there. Yeah. And of people that, have, that I've sat and talked to that I've said, hey, there's four things I know really well. It's building cigars, Sasquatch, and um, professional wrestling. Nine out of ten people say, tell me about Sasquatch. Right. Tell me all about it. So one night we'll do my entire Sasquatch soliloquy. I, I'm, I'm happy, to, <laughs> I'm happy to, to do that. I just, on a, on a week where, you know, full disclosure, we recorded this past episode this, on Friday before it aired, and then now we're sitting in the following Monday. There's not a whole lot of news that has come out in that amount of time. So looking for ways to fill the air. I didn't want it to just be you sitting there talking to yourself the whole time. Well, I understand that. And so you, you've got some Sasquatch homework to do and some, and some questions and all. And one day, one day, and okay, I'll leave it to the listeners. If you would like to hear me talk about Sasquatch. Press one now. Sh- shoot us an instant message. Shoot yeah. We probably need to do like a Facebook poll People who want to hear Shane talk about Sasquatch, people who never want to hear Shane talk about Sasquatch, or that could be hard on my ego. That, that, yeah, but you might have to have some courage. But you did break my heart a little bit today. Well, when, I apologize. We can talk that. about Sasquatch all you want as soon as we turn the mics off. 
<laughs> well, that's no fun. I, you've heard it before. <laughs> you've, you, you've heard my, my 30-minute PowerPoint lecture on Sasquatch. I'll but, tell you what. We've got a couple of articles here, but I was not aware of the Genesis 6 theory. Do you want to go into that? Since we're talking about it, okay. let, let's jump in. I'll, I'll, do, I'll, do the, I'll do the abbreviated. Well, we went really long in the first half of the show, so this is going to be abbreviated. So we may just... I mean, we, we, do you want to talk about Sasquatch? Fine. Shane, let's talk about Sasquatch. We've got 15 minutes. Go. <laughs> well, okay. So there's three basic theories on Sasquatch on what Sasquatch are. If you if you go through all of the and so everybody knows I listen to five or six different Sasquatch podcasts every week. There's you know Dixie Crippid, Sasquatch Chronicles, um, Buckeye Bigfoot. There's a lot of really good Sasquatch channels on the internet and basically all of them have the same theory. Hey, shoot me an email and tell me about your experience of Sasquatch. Yeah. And um these all come up and come in. So, and I listen to them because I enjoy it. It's something I enjoy talking about and listening to. It's fascinated me since I was a child. Yeah. But there's three basic theories on Sasquatch. There's the relic hominid that it's, you know, Gigantopithecus. If you look at the fossil record and look up Gigantopithecus, you'll see what a Sasquatch supposedly looks like. Essentially, it evolved into its state million years ago and just hasn't evolved since or right. minor evolution since. Yeah, just just the same way as Neanderthal and modern man existed at the same time period, we exist at the same time period as Gigantopithecus. Yeah. And that's probably I would say that's seventy percent or better of people that are Sasquatch people believe in the relic hominid theory. Then there is the Genesis six conspiracy that the Sasquatch are actually the offspring of the Nephilim from Genesis 6. And I remember the Nephilim were a race of giants, of savage giants, and they were actually been theorized that they were part of the reason for the flood was that God wanted to get rid of the Nephilim. Okay. And the Genesis 6 conspiracy, because in the Bible it actually says, and the Nephilim bred with the daughters of man. And that the Sasquatch are actually that off-breeding of fallen angels and human beings, and that's how you have the Sasquatch. Okay. So that's a, that's another that's the Genesis six, and then there's the trans-dimensional guys that think that they're aliens or some other. Yeah, that they they understand physics on a different level, or they exist on a different level of physics than we do, and they just kind of step in and out of our reality. All right, and that's why they're seen so infrequently. So that, that's kind of just uh, the long way of going about saying, okay, that's how that all came from. And, you know, um, Les Stroud, Survivor Man. Mm. Listen to him talk about Sasquatch sometime, about Bigfoot. And so, okay, there's a bunch of names for them. There's, of course, Bigfoot, there's Sasquatch, there's Sabe, there's Genoska. There's all of the different versions of what the Sasquatch are. And every culture has their own. In Australia, they're Yowie. In Vietnam, Vietnam, they're the red-haired wild man. There's Every culture has a Sasquatch-type item, Yeti. Yeah. Obviously. And, I'll, and it's like Les said. You know, people say, well, I need some proof. And he said, well, how much proof do you need? Anything that has tens of thousands of witnesses... And saying you've seen a Sasquatch does not garner you a lot of fame and fortune. Usually the opposite. Usually yeah. ridicule. 
And, you know, I've heard stories from pastures. There's pasture in Texas, Psalm 1. Of course, you hear thousands of stories from hunters Mm -hmm. that have had encounters. You hear all of these different stories and all of these different things about them. And, um, of course, the skeptic. Skeptic always says, well, why do we not have a body? I think there's a couple of reasons we don't have a body. One, I think they bury their dead. Okay. Um, Even if they don't bury their dead, things that die in the woods break down and go away very quickly. It's true. I mean, you would have... You you spend more time out in the woods than anybody else I know. How many just die of old age squirrel carcasses do you come across? Oh, never. Raccoons. Deer that weren't hunted and just... Occasionally. Once every five to seven years, I'll find like a deer skull. Yeah. So you take a creature who's adept at camouflage and remaining hidden, despite being an apex predator, and it stands to reason, yeah, that they would be... You probably, unless you're spending a lot of time in caves, you're probably not going to come across remains. Well, you know, and I was having that discussion in here one night, and they said, what do you mean caves? I I guarantee you we're in the heart of Spring Hill right now. I bet you we could find a cave within five miles of where you're sitting right now. Oh, without a doubt. We've got a huge cave. Not so much here, but the further east you go onto the plateau, there's caves everywhere. Yeah, so caves are a definite part of that and you rarely and the just the difficulty of going into caves gases everything that goes like that would make it much more difficult to find a body in a cave um the other theory is my own little conspiracy theory i think their government has sasquatch bodies see this is where you lose me a little bit well if there was proven to be a sasquatch And they were put on the endangered species list. How much lumber company land would that shut down? It would cripple the American economy. Yes, but at the same time, when has the U.S. government ever been capable? This is why I don't buy the whole Roswell alien thing. There's, I forget the name of it, but there's a a concept um, or a theory around secret keeping. And there's a, an, an inverse exponential curve with how easy it is to keep a secret and how many people know about it. So even if one person who just so happens to be a fish and wildlife person comes across a body and gets everybody, there's still going to be 35 to 50 people that know about it. But And the likely, then, you know, you, they die and they bring someone new into the program. So let's say over the course of the last 100 years, we've got maybe 200 people who know about this program. There's no way that stays a secret. No, but you have to understand, we've set up a culture around people that talk about Bigfoot or crackpots. So you, you think know, it's a pro- there's, there's a certain level of the propaganda machine... Yeah, the best way to tell a lie is to tell the truth badly. Right. I mean, you you know, you look at Grover Krantz, who was a famous Sasquatch um, enthusiast, enthusiast searched. He was a professor at some college way out in the northeast or northwest. And, you know, two of his, actually two of his Irish wolfhound skeletons are in the Smithsonian Institute. Oh, interesting. So this is a respected man. Yeah. 
And he was considered a crackpot by all of his peers whenever he started talking about Bigfoot. So if you create a culture, if you were trying to hide Bigfoot, one of the best ways to do it would be to create a culture around it of, okay, people that talk about Bigfoot are all crackpots. They're all crazy people. I mean, look at the, re- the, the reaction I get from people in here when we... Because inevitably, when I say these are the four things I know about, they'll say, oh, I want to hear about Bigfoot. And then the guys around the circle all roll their eyes and say, oh, it's, it's Shane and his Bigfoot theories again. So if you were trying to keep that secret, there's really, rather than, you know, and the accounts I've heard, I've heard accounts from people that were at Mount St. Helens who had to do the cleanup after the eruption that there were Sasquatch bodies found there. I've heard three different accounts from three different military branches of people that said, yes, we went to Mount St. Helens and we found bodies. And they were lifted out via helicopter and taken away to a different location. You know, despite being an apex predator, bears find their way into society. Coyotes find their way into society. At a certain point, due to resource scarcity in whatever environment they live in, eventually one would wander into a settlement. Not if... So when you talk about the Sabe people, Native Americans referred to the Sabe the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot was referred to as the Sabe to them. They were referred to as a tribe and they were killed. So you think about how often something that threatening would be shoot first and ask questions later. Culturally, from the Bigfoot culture, they've been, you know, if nothing else, natural selection has bred out them wandering into town. Only the ones that didn't wander into the village and asked to borrow a fish didn't get an arrow in them. True, but we would, you know, evolution takes place over the course of thousands of years. Even when you're talking about selective breeding like that, and it would there would have been enough of an overlap that we would have a Bigfoot skeleton in the Smithsonian. There even prob- if they were believed to be extinct at this point. There probably is in the basement under lock and key, you know, in the places you and I wouldn't get to go for our standard 595 tourist pass. And there's there's a lot of that. And at the end of the day, it's impossible to prove a negative. It's impossible right. to prove they don't exist. Right. And the day that one, you know, so look at the Patterson-Gimlin film, the most famous Bigfoot film on, on record, Patty. Um, nobody has ever proven that that's not and it has been folded fondled and analyzed from every possible perspective i will say one thing i do respect about the bigfoot community is the fact that if someone presents new evidence they will beat it to death they are the hardest critics oh nobody is more anxious to debunk a new bigfoot video than people that are you know um earlier this year the coyote peterson footage where he supposedly found a Bigfoot skull. Within an hour, he was totally debunked. And I was, no, this is obviously a gorilla skull. It's not even a real one. It's a replica. Here's the website you can order it from. The Bigfoot community debunked Coyote Peterson so fast Yeah. in all that. And that is one of the things about him. Nobody's a harsher critic than the actual people in that community because they don't, they don't like that part of it. So... Every So Bigfoot has been seen or encountered or there's folklore about on every continent except Antarctica. Right. 
they would be the only animal outside of humans for whom that was true. And we've developed shipping and other methods of, of conveyance that have helped make that possible. How are there any prevalent theories? Yes, so there's many different types of Bigfoot. Um, the northeastern and northwestern Sasquatch are arboreal. They're tree-based. They're going to be bigger. That's your standard Harry and the Henderson eight-foot-tall Bigfoot. Okay. That would be your northwestern Bigfoot. Your southwestern Bigfoot are mostly much smaller. They're usually human-sized, four to six-foot from a distance just look like a really hirsute, hairy person. Um, They're also far more aggressive, the chances of encountering them successfully. And they're more troglodytic. They're more ground-based. And it makes sense. If you're in the desert, you're going to be a little less... You're going to have a little harder time eating than if you're arboreal. Yeah. So there's different genus and species in amongst them all. And you can go online and you can actually find breakdowns of every one. Now, I do recognize... The, you know, the Bigfoot is kind of like the werewolf. It's something that just makes, it's an easy putt to say, okay, that would exist. You know, it's a, it would be easy to make up a story about a giant hairy man. Yeah. And it would be easy to make up a story about a man that turned into a wolf. And there's a lot of different things like that that fall into those categories. So it, it's an easy putt to say the human imagination could conceive of something like that fairly quick. Now, so which camp of origination do you fall into? I am definitely relic hominid. Okay. I definitely fall into the relic hominid theory. I think that's the only way to me that it makes sense. To me, it's the only way it makes sense. Um, I'm also, you know, the the main theory that falls within relic hominid is that the female, because people had somebody ask me here one night, why don't we ever see the young ones? Well, there's tons of stories of juvenile Bigfoots, but they're always with their mother. There's never been stories released of there was a male Sasquatch with a juvenile. So you think they fall more into maybe like the bear-like structure where they're solitary creatures? Right. They're solitary creatures. The males have a much larger travel area than the females. The females tend to raise the young and things like that. And it kind of comes from that area. So that that's, tends to be that the, the, you know, the females would be what the average person would see. And if you look, you know, I think it's frame 182. I, I don't know the exact frame number. I think it's 182. Of the Patterson-Gimlet field, you actually see breasts. And if you were going to put on a costume and fake a Bigfoot sighting, one, you'd be faking it in a man that's looking with Bigfoot, for Bigfoot, with a thirty out 6 sitting on his saddle. So you're taking a big risk. Yeah. And all. But would you think to fake breasts on the costume? So there's, you know, and I may have a little confirmation biased. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm prone to it. And I enjoy, I enjoy the thought that there's not, that everything we, in the world is not known to us. That there's a lot of stuff out there in the world that we just don't know about. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of that. <laughs> I, I get that. I mean, I won't go so far as to say that I don't believe in Bigfoot, but I certainly don't. I don't think I'll ever encounter one, and I, I definitely don't believe in it enough to, to really put in a whole lot of time or energy researching. 
Yeah, well, it's e- one, it's easier now than it's ever been. Yeah. You know, used to, you had to go to the library and you had to find a book and you had to know the Dewey Decimal System and how to navigate that to find that out. But I'm just not prepared to call tens of thousands. Of, you know, okay. So say 10,000 is the number. There's more than 10,000, but let's use 10,000 for second math. Let's say of 10,000 people in a room said, okay, we all seen Bigfoot. Let's take half of them. Let's take 5,000 right off the top and say those are just people that are mistaken. Okay. That saw a bear, that saw another human being, that saw whatever, whenever, however. Let's just take half of them out immediately. All right. And let's just take 2,500 of those off just to say, okay, these are people that have um, a mental disturbance or something like that. Are you still prepared to call 2,500 people liars to their face? Are you prepared to cut out three quarters of all the sightings and look them right in the eye and say, you're a liar? Yeah, I think that would be a tough putt. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough ask. And to me, that, that kind of stands up. That theory kind of stands up to that. And uh, I can't wait. We have the Smoky Mountain Bigfoot Conference in July. Are you going? Oh, absolutely. It's one of the biggest Bigfoot conferences in the country. All the podcast people that I listen to and everything will be there. So I'm looking forward to going to it. It's actually a couple of weeks after the show, so I'm going to have a busy July. Oh, nice. But I really am looking forward to going to it and just seeing. Now, I may come back from it and say, okay, everybody there was a crackpot. Or yeah. I may come back from it and say, no, they're normal people like the rest of us that just happen to see one. Yeah. And, I'll, of course, the big question, and I'll ask you this question. You're hunting in the woods. You got your 30 out six. Bigfoot walks up. It's not threatening you. But you know your, reign, your, your path to fame and fortune is walking in front of you in size 32 shoes. And all you've got to do is pull the trigger and get and become famous. Would you pull the trigger? How, you know, how certain can you, the, the number one rule of hunting is to be sure of your shot. How could you, how could anybody be so certain that they're seeing what they think they are, that they're willing to pull the trigger? Absolutely. That's, that, a, that, that's a big question. That's the, that's number one for me. Uh-huh. Like, how do I know this isn't Uncle Ted Trying, hoping to get caught on a trail cam somewhere. Sure, sure. Um, you know, but I also think I I don't because of because, like you said, you know, it's there's so anyone who's had an experience with Bigfoot automatically gets proven a crackpot until it's either proven that they, it was a hoax by their design or or whatever. I think. Let, let's say that your conspiracy theory is correct, then that means I get put in a bunker somewhere never to see the light of day again. You know, I don't see what the upside is to taking the Bigfoot. See, I don't either. I've asked this question of, of numerous people as we've been talking about it as, okay, if you shot one or if you had the opportunity to shoot one, would you? You know, I'm, I'm going to be on this hog hunt we're going on in February. I'm going to be carrying a forty-five seventy. A forty-five seventy would kill a Bigfoot. Right. Let's be honest. Kill um, an elephant. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good gun. <laughs> it's, um, but I'm going to be shooting at 600-pound hogs. I need no, a good yeah, gun. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't. 
Because it's not, and I wouldn't just from the standpoint of, it's not important enough for me to be right to kill something. Right. The, just, just so that I could say I was right would not be important enough to me to kill something. I wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to have that on me for the rest of my life. If I got famous for being the first guy to, you know, drag a Bigfoot carcass onto public square for the scientists in the world to see, I still wouldn't feel good about it. All right. Let me put this last question before we wrap it up for the night. Put kind of change the stakes a little bit. You come across a Bigfoot that's been ensnared in something, whether it's a bear trap, assuming those are all illegal now at this point, right? Yeah. Nobody uses those anymore. Let's say wandered across one that hadn't rusted itself open or some other type of trap. Do you do you then free it and just let it go? Oh, absolutely. That that's your your play there? Yeah, absolutely. Do I you did. video it first? No. It's it's good enough for you to have had the experience? Yeah, it's it's good enough for me. You know, I don't care if I you know, there's guys that do camp outs and tree yeah. knocking and um soundings and callings and all that stuff and there's guys that are out there purposely trying to see one and there's even a show on discovery channel of guys that are purposely trying to kill one and all and they use thermal imaging and all of these other things um no i just i think i if if i knew experience is enough for you yeah if i knew i could get him loose without potentially getting hurt myself that was going to be my follow-up question which is with all you know about bigfoot would you feel comfortable approaching the, you know, an ensnared Bigfoot to try and free it? Um, he would have to prove me wrong. I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd approach it from the standpoint of he or she's not going to hurt me. Yeah. And would have to prove me wrong. You know, the um, uh, Mary Green stories actually from Appalachia here in Tennessee about 50. It's called the book's called 50 Years of Bigfoot. And she talks about her grandfather found one trapped under a tree, and it was a young one, a juvenile, and he actually thought that it was a hirsute child that suffered from Down syndrome and brought it back, got it out from under the tree, brought it back to his barn, and that night the tribe came and got him, and they all got to know the tribe. And it's a long... I don't know that... I don't know that everything Mary wrote was right. I think she's seen something, but I think she may have embellished some of what she's seen. Yeah, yeah. But... In any event, um, everything that I've listened to, read, or anything like that says it would be okay if you could give them a hand. They probably wouldn't well, the turn fact, around and eat you for it. The fact that you know, we don't have any records of, of people being mauled and come back into town saying, oh, it was a Bigfoot. You know, the odds are probably pretty good that once it's free, it's going to run off. Yeah, you have more records of people hurting themselves trying to run away from them yeah. than of them chasing them. Yeah. And also, there's there's some of that stuff to it. But, now, granted, if an eight-foot-tall, you know, 450-pound hominid wanted to kill you, there probably wouldn't be a lot of storytelling left to be done after that point. That, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> and also, anyway, okay, well, thank you for letting me talk about You're Bigfoot. welcome. I, I know we had planned some is, other articles. Is your articles. heart healed? My heart's healed. I'm a, I feel a little better about our friendship now. I feel like maybe, uh, you, maybe you like me a little better. <laughs> Well, all right. Um, talk about your cigar. Airbender's excellent. Airbender chisel. I don't know that I would like it in any shape but the chisel. Yeah. I like the chisel shape. I like the feel of it in my hand. I'm surprised more companies don't make a chisel. 
I wonder if they have a trademark on it. I've, I wondered that too. I've wondered that myself. But, um, you know, it's a solid six all the time. It's a slow smoke. It's a good smoke. It's great from beginning to end. It's complex. Um, it's that good LFD Dominican tobacco at its best. You can tell it's been aged well, put through well. It's a six all day long. All right. Tell me about the cabinet. Um, I'm actually not going to give this a rating, but I'll tell you why I'm not going to give it a rating. It, with about two and a half, three inches left to go, it split at the, at the head of the cigar. So I was kind of fighting the wrapper for the last few inches of it. I was also getting a little bit of that young ammonia out of it. Like it, like it needed more time, like they rushed it out the door. You know, I haven't smoked any out of that box. I wonder if that's the case. So I know that's not indicative of what that cigar is meant to be. So I'm going to abstain from a rating, but I will make it a point to come back to that cigar in another few months and try it again. If I get the same results, I'll rate it at that point based on that experience. But for now, we'll just say I'll try it again. Excellent. Well, how do they get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash the cigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at the cigarcast. And you can email us at info at the cigarcast.com. Well, everyone remember absence of proof is not proof of absence. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.